welcome to the Access Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Vinny Masana. We are filming live tonight from the beautiful Long Island Fieldhouse in Hop Pod, New York, joined by a very special guest, Glenn Mitchell. Glenn was in the minor leagues, played pro ball beginning in 1987 with the Braves. And since then, he has uh, been very involved in the Long Island baseball community, giving lessons, um, running gem pitching, and now he has gem mental game pro. So, Glenn, very nice to... I'll be joined by you tonight, and thank you for being part of the podcast. Thank you for having me. Of course. So uh, let's take it back a little bit to the earlier days. You grew up in Malvern, New York, correct? So can you tell our audience a little bit about your early experiences with uh, Long Island baseball? Yeah, no, it was nice. I was playing for uh, Malvern High School. We didn't have so many AAU teams like they have now. And I was playing for the Long Island Dodgers, and I was just having a good time playing baseball and basketball in Malvern High School. Lot different than it is now, right? Oh, it's no, just they about got the social media, the you know, like your podcast and all the things that's going on now. It's totally different. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, fortunately, they did have avenues for you to get noticed, and I know that you got your shot in pro ball back in 1987 from an MLB showcase on right. Long Island, right? Yeah, Ralph Doolittle was the head of the showcase, and Larry Izzo and of course Pat Short was a part of that. At Eisenhower Park, they had the showcase, and they sent a letter to my coach at Malvern High School, Lou Order, who sent me there, and that's how they saw me. Mm-hmm. Yep. How did they get the word out back then? Because, like you mentioned, with social media now, it would be different. They would just put put it uh, on an email chain or on, on social media, but they had to get find the best players in, in uh, a short period of time. All they did was send out a letter, mail, mm-hmm. you know, regular postal mail. That's how they would do it. Yeah, and, and I'm sure back then, if you were on the radar of teams for the uh, for the draft, right. a similar situation too, right? If you were drafted. No, you for me it wasn't because nobody knew of me. Mm-hmm. Malvern High School wasn't famous for base- baseball. They were famous for basketball. Mm-hmm. So when I was playing baseball, they didn't know me. Nobody knew me. So mm-hmm. when I went to the showcase, they noticed that I was throwing hard, harder than normal, mm-hmm. and they asked me to, to uh, be watched, seen by the other scouts. So I said, okay. No problem. So what I did was Ralph Dulu gave me his number, Steve Limbo gave me his number, and then I ended up calling Steve Limbo and Ralph Dulu when I pitched my next time. Mm-hmm. And when they came to watch me pitch, it was like four or five scouts, you know. And John Hagerman was one of the scouts, which was with the Atlanta Braves, mm-hmm. and he said, listen, I saw enough. I want to sign you. Mm-hmm. So it was between the Dodgers and the Braves, you know, between the nice finances that they gave me plus scholarships for college, I ended up picking the Braves. Mm-hmm. And what were the colleges that were on your radar at that time? None. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the no, honesty. No, the only, <laughs> only one was the, the famous guy, Louis Santos. <laughs> Santos was the only one from Queensboro Community College who mm-hmm. was interested in me. Everybody else didn't even know who my name my name was. Excuse yeah. me. <laughs> you know, I got accepted to Oklahoma State University academically-wise. Mm-hmm. But nobody knew nothing about baseball and Glenn Mitchell, so I was So it was an easy decision to go to pro ball. Yeah. And and now you mentioned to me when we spoke last time, you were only 17 when you got to pro ball, right? So, I mean, there's grown men, you know, trying to put food on the table for their kids, and you were a kid at that point. Well, you know, they sent me to the minor leagues. There was still, there was still, they were much older than me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I probably was one of the younger guys down there. But it was a learning process. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a big learning process to play, to be away from home for the first time in my life, be away from home like that without mommy and daddy, you know, mm-hmm. and play professional baseball. Mm-hmm. 
Now, just as, as it ends up, 1987 was just before the Braves went on a pretty um, historic run. I yeah. mean, from what, 1991 until uh, 2005, they won the NL East every year. Yeah. And uh, that was in large part to their pitching rotation. John Smoltz, uh, Steve Avery, Maddox, um, Glavin, Glavin yeah. and Chipper Jones, of course. So I'm sure you had some overlap um, with with some of those players well, in the minor league. Well, I saw, met Tom Glavin. Uh, through Andrew Dyson, who's their, one of their number ones. Um, Smoltzy and me, we met, you know, John Smoltz, mm -hmm. we met um, during instructional ball, um, playing basketball. Pat Mahomes, we were playing basketball. Willie mm -hmm. Banks out of New Jersey. We all snuck away on Sunday because that was our off day to play basketball. But the Braves had the biggest minor league system at that time. Really? Yeah, we had maybe four or five A-teams. You know, and that was unheard of back then. So in 1986 to 87, 88, 89, they signed a lot of players from all different sports. Mm -hmm. And just kind of like, I, I would say, they they got rid of what wasn't good for them and kept what was the best for them. Mm -hmm. And that's how they made up their system because at that time they got voted the best minor league team in um, MLB. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what were the uh, the living arrangements like in the minor leagues in those days? Because it's pretty well known that it's not as glamorous as some people make it out to be. But can you tell our audience that may be unfamiliar, you know, the realities of minor league baseball, especially during that time when you have all these players in the system, like right. you mentioned? Yeah, it's uh, it was rough. <laughs> you know, you live with it in an apartment with two or three guys, or uh, for us, it was a trailer park house. It was actually good. It was nice. Um, and uh, when I was in South Carolina, of course, it was a lot of AC that we needed. Mm -hmm. So it was it was okay, so but it was rough. Yeah, but you know, one of the things is, is okay, like you're used to living on your own or you're used to even paying your bills. Some of my roommates weren't used to doing none of that, mm -hmm. you know, paying bills or getting getting a, a rental a rental contract or anything like that so it was it was rough sometimes because one guy knew how to do it another guy didn't and then when the season's over they're gone mm -hmm. you know you still have a bill oh, you know so it was it was a little crazy yeah people yeah. don't really think about that and now major league baseball has kind of stepped up to their credit yeah. whether they wanted to or or not is kind of a different story but now they're going to be taking care of um, housing for, mm -hmm. for players, and they're going to get paid a little bit more and be in the union. So right. it's been a long time coming, but it's about time. So um, so 1992, uh, the professional career ended. But before that, you started getting involved with uh, with pitching lessons. So yes. can you tell us a little bit about how that how that started? Well, that started with me catching for Howie Gersberg, who was the pitching coach for the California Angels. Um, and one of the minor league pitching coaches, and a lot of times the big leaguers would bring him to camp. I started catching at, uh, oh, what's the old place name? I can't remember. It was an indoor facility? Yeah, it was a nice indoor facility, and I used to catch for him. You know, actually caught Steve Crossett, you know, there. Future so, big league. Yeah, man. so I started catching for him, and then after a while, started teaching at New York Tech, you know, Hirschfield, Bob Hirschfield's camp. Mm -hmm. And then I, I, just, I just kept doing it, you know, but one of the things I did learn was teaching helped me to learn why I didn't make it. You know, that was one of the biggest things I kept looking for, you know, mm -hmm. but. Yeah, and when it comes to uh, what it takes to be a big leaguer, I think mm -hmm. a lot of the guys in pro ball, even, you know, 30 years ago, had the velocity, relatively speaking. Right. However, whatever the average velocity was then, they had the arm strength. But 
kind of what separates them is the mental side, and that's something that you're very big on now. So when did you come to that realization that um, it's what's between the ears that could kind of separate the good from the great players? Yeah, a lot of times when I spent my time teaching with Dave Roman- at Dave Romanzic's place, he used to talk to me a lot about the game itself mm-hmm. and listening to all the, the different mindsets of people that he would tell me about, you know, and then talking to uh, Howie Gershberg different people and then of course my one of my other mentors which was Marty Contreras who was big 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 director of pitching for the Yankees I realized that it was the mindset it was the mindset that made you better or made you worse mm-hmm. you know depression anxiety it was amazing because I remember there was a time I was playing where I just wanted to go home I didn't want to play anymore I just wanted to go home and I didn't realize that was my depression you know what I'm saying? That was the real depression that sat in me. And you know what? One of my friends told me, if you come home, I'll never forget. And I'm going to mention you, Scott. He said, if you come home, we fighting. And I was <laughs> like, what do you mean we fighting? He said, you know how many people would give their left arm to be where you are? And I said, yeah. He said, no, you don't come home. You play until they let you go. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's so it's a generational thing. It seems like back uh, probably 50, 60 years ago, that would have been unheard of. Like, oh, what do you mean you came home? But yeah. people prioritize mental health now more than anything. And we yeah. saw, you know, a couple of years ago, Mark Appel, you know, pitched right. the first overall pick, didn't make the major leagues and wind it, wound up uh, walking away from the game. Made a comeback yeah. later on, but that was unheard of. So, yeah. you know, I think that it happens all the time now. There's yeah. players that if they just, you know, if they don't have everything together between the right. ears, um, that could be their undoing in a right. career. And you've worked with hundreds of athletes, maybe thousands. What's kind of the common denominator that you see in the guys that are successful? Like you work with some big leaguers now, right. you know, Justin Dunn, right. Nick Tropiano, right. uh, Kyle Martin was in the upper levels with the Orioles. I mean, right. can you shed some light on what those guys did that let them break through? Well, they're still working. It's an everyday work ethic. You have to keep working on your mind. You have to get your hours to tell guys. You have to find a program that fits you that will help you be consistent with yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, it's something that you work on every day that will make you grow and make your mind strong. Because if you don't, you're going to suffer. Mm-hmm. You know, you know when you hear of players walking away from the game or you hear about college students um, quitting, mm-hmm. you know, some people trying, you know, going with suicide. You know, it's because their program has a fault in it. I would say there's a fault. It's like when you hit return, you're going to get a good result. If you hit return and you get a virus, something that you put into your mind messed up. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have to keep teaching it. You have to keep teaching it, learning it, teaching it, learning it, mm-hmm. so that you find the program that fits. So when you hit return, you have a good positive result. And I'm glad you mentioned the college because I didn't want to just focus on the pro guys because right. there's probably more people it's applicable. Um, you know, regarding finding the right college. So right. now that you work with younger athletes, what's something that you tell them before they make that decision? Because we see all the time, kids are so quick to want to announce their, their commitment on Instagram. Right. And then that's just the start of it. Now they have the, the hard work actually starts. So what do you tell some of your athletes that are good enough to pick in college, but you want to get their mind right as far as what decision they're going to make to call home? Well, the first thing I tell them is do your research on the school. I said, do your research on the school, do your research on the coaches, and make sure that you're going into a healthy environment. I said, if you don't do that and you get there, and you've been a superstar in high school, and you go to college, and you're not a superstar, your mind is going to take a serious hit. Mm-hmm. 
do the research and study, which is study things that make you relax, you know, things that calm you down. You know, I tell guys, every guy I've ever taught, I always told them, learn how to breathe. Mm -hmm. Breathe before you throw the pitch. Breathing relaxes the body. They do it in martial arts, they do it in lifting weights. So why wouldn't you do it when you pitch? Mm -hmm. You know, I remember there was a guy I was watching in spring training hit, and all of a sudden, he would take a deep breath, relax, and then as the ball's coming and he's making contact, he would breathe out, mm -hmm. just like lifting weights. Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing, when you're looking for your college, you have to do your research. Everybody researches everything else. They on social media all the time. And I'm like, you don't research how the school is, you know, how long the coach has been there, what is his biggest thing. His roster turnover. Yeah, his roster's time. up and down. You know, some guys, from our area, some kids, some athletes, excuse me, some athletes from our area. Oh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to Texas, coach. And I said, why? <laughs> he was like, oh, he said he needs me as a pitcher or he needs me as an infielder. And then when they get down there, they found out that he has like ten more in that position. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you didn't look at the roster? And I was like, oh no, I, oh, you just listened to him. Mm -hmm. I said, it's okay. Social media lets you do research. Mm -hmm. Do it. You can do it. Mm -hmm. It does. It's not, a, it's not against the law to do the research. Mm -hmm. Find out. You know, you're going down there, oh, I'm, on, I'm this second second baseman, and you go down there, and you find out you're six deep, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know. What's some things you like to work on with young pitchers that are struggling with their confidence? Mm -hmm. We see it all the time. Every, anyone's susceptible to it, even if you had great stuff. You know, I was somebody that had success, but all it takes right. is one bad outing, two, and then they can start to snowball. So right. if you have somebody come in, you know, for a lesson, and all of a sudden you start to notice that they don't have that same confidence in their right. fastball or their abilities anymore. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how do you peel back that curtain and try to get their confidence? Well, back? one of the first things I get them to do is start journaling. You know, start writing stuff down. When they're having good games and when they're having bad games. You know, how you feel? What do you do? Like, okay, perfect example, I remember uh, the Mind Gym, that's a book, and um, I had a picture who was pitching in the county championship this year. So I said, you know what, what I want you to do is, before the game, I want you to look on YouTube, and because you can't watch it if you're driving, or if you can watch it, I want you to watch nothing but the greatest things that a pitcher you like, you love, whether it's DeGrom, whether it's Scherzer, whoever it is, watch all of their highlights. That's all I want you to do, watch all their highlights, and then go pitch the game. And he was like, why? I said, trust me, just watch it. The reason I did that is because I'm trying to change his mindset. Mm -hmm. I want him to think about all positive things. So when kids come to me negative, the first thing I think of is how can I change his mindset? How can I get him to be positive? Mm -hmm. You know, every single time that you're thinking of something negative, I'm saying something positive. And because he's journaling, I have him write more positive than negative. Mm -hmm. Then he keeps doing it over and over again and becomes a part of it. You know, by the way, it was Pat, uh, Pat Barrett mm -hmm. for Wheatley. They won the county. And it worked. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. Yeah. Confidence is such a big part of pitching. I mean, when you start to, to lose, you can almost forget all the success you had. I know from my experiences, you almost don't remember what it was like to win a, to win a game, even if it was, you know, it could have been a month ago. It could have right. been three outings ago. But conversely, once those wins start to pile up, yeah. you have no doubt that you're going to that you're going to continue to win. We go through a process more than we deal with the result. Because we'll think about the process that got us here. We don't think about the results. Mm -hmm. You know, 
I'm sure Dusty Baker's not talking about, we won the World Series still. I think he's talking about what, how we got there. Mm -hmm. All the things that happened that year that happened from the news, that happened with each player that was funny that we, won't, we don't know nothing about. <laughs> you know, but I'm sure he's talking about that process, mm -hmm. that longevity of process that goes on to get to the NBA Finals. Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you know, we were talking before you started, you were talking about things in the past mm -hmm. that got you to be here. Yeah, one thing I also have noticed with how the game has changed is how pitchers have had to accept uh, all different types of roles, right? Yeah. Like when, when you were playing, there was seemed to be more of a defined role with pitchers in Major League Baseball, pro yeah. baseball, right? You guys wanted to know if you were a starter, right. a short reliever, a uh, lefty specialist, or a closer. Right. Now it seems like it's, it's very fluid, right? Like unless you're at the top end of the game, if you're Edwin Diaz right now, right. Um, he knows he's getting the ball if the Mets have the lead in the ninth close. inning, or you know, last year Holmes when he was at his best for the Yankees. Right. Um, is that something you ever try to uh, preach to your athletes if they ever come in and they're like, oh, my coach, he's uh, he's not he, he's not committing to me as being a weekend starter, a Friday night guy, or they had a bad start. He wants me to work out of the bullpen next right. time, and they start to complain. I mean, how how do you handle those those well, types of situations? I think it's the easiest way to say that is. What did you go to college or high school to play baseball for? Did you come here to sit on the bench or did you come to play? Mm -hmm. If you're in college, when I was the pitching coach in college for 15 years, guys were like, coach doesn't want me to play uh, second base. He wants me to play shortstop. I said, so you want to play shortstop? He was like, ah, I never played shortstop. I said, so you better sit on the bench. <laughs> I said, there's only two things, either get out there and play or sit on the bench. So I tell guys all the time, I say, listen, your objective is to play. Play. Closer, starter, uh, reliever, specialist, I don't care what you do. Mm -hmm. I think you'd feel much better playing than sitting next to me. Mm -hmm. I sit there all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't move, you mm -hmm. know. And a lot of guys are like, you know what, coaching, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. And like I have, a, there's a catcher that I deal with. He catches for me. And he says, eh, I want to catch, but he wants me to play first. He says, because he has a starting catcher, play, play first. Mm -hmm. Or sit on the bench. You yeah. have your choice. That's your choice. I'm yeah. not making your choice, but I'm sure you would rather play. It should be an yeah. easy decision yeah. if these kids are, are uh, committed to it. Um, so you were you were a college coach for many years. What are the things that you miss about, about the game? You know, the grind. I know some people, it gets a negative connotation be, being at the field every day, but I'm mm -hmm. sure someone like you, a baseball lifer, you loved it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love the game. I'm always looking to get better at the game. You know, I'm always listening to people's whys. You know, why they do the things they do. You know, um, I just like to understand how you made it through all the negatives. You know, all the sacrifices you made. Uh, you know, and I'm always constantly asking guys about their sacrifices, you know, about, like I said, about their why. The more I ask about their sacrifice, the more I get to learn more about somebody who might have the same problem. Mm -hmm. You know, my whole thing is, is if I can deal with someone, if I can deal with someone's problem, if I can help them, okay, that will make me learn more, okay? If I could learn from other people's mistakes, then if someone comes with that mistake, it's easy for me to help. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's my whole thing. So with dealing with college and dealing with the pro guys and dealing with people that in life in general, if I can meet you where you're at, 
in life, I'll be in the hook. Mm-hmm. Are there any players now in Major League Baseball or when you were younger that you watched their, how they went about their business, you know, their, their mindset, their work ethic that you really uh, try to emulate? No, I take a little bit of everybody because it's not me duplicating. It's me finding a way to, like I said, get a program from the different people that I meet, the different people that I talk to, and make up my program, who is the original programmer for myself as well. Mm-hmm. So when I talk to guys, guys are like, oh, you know, I want to be like DeGrom, I want to be like Scherzer, and I'm like, you know, I want to be like this guy, that guy. I said, no, you don't. You want to understand what got them to where they're going, and then you want to take little pieces of research from them and make you. Mm-hmm. I said, Bruce Lee said it that way. He said, listen, you study everybody, and then you come up with your own formula for yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going to make you not Bruce Lee's way, not DeGrom's way, not mommy and daddy's way, mm-hmm. but your way. Whatever's going to make you, because everybody's different, but you've got to build your own program and make it yours. You know, And that's what makes you strong. That's what makes you get better. That's mm-hmm. why I love the game. You know, But I started studying everything. Mm-hmm. I studied martial arts. I studied uh, pickleball. I, you know, I didn't even that's know, I didn't right know nothing about pickleball. Pickleball, tennis, golf, you know, gymnasts. Volleyball, softball, I study everybody who does something that is hard to do, hard to accomplish, but they get it done and become great. Mm-hmm. Now, before we sign off today, can you tell our audience how they can get in touch with you and if they want to be a part of Gem uh, Mental Game Pro? Yep, GemMentalGamePro.com. GemMentalGamePro.com. Or call me at 516-678-5131. That's it. And if you just want to talk, I'm here to listen. I love the game, but with me, it's all sports that matter. Mm-hmm. I love that. Glenn, thank you so much for your time. Very insightful. Thank you to the Long Island Fieldhouse for hosting today's podcast. Yep. And thank you for tuning in to the first episode of this season of the Access Baseball Podcast. Good night.